The Apartment Rebellion will not be televised. Resident experience will be more than a buzzword. Staff experience will finally matter. It's happening right now. It's in the hands of the doers, the innovators, the boundary pushers, who are moving the industry forward, just like the people on this show. This is the Apartment Rebels podcast, hosted by Flamingo CEO Jude Chi. Welcome, friends of the rebellion, and may the force be with you. On today's uh, podcast, we have Carl Smith from Cortland. Uh, so Carl is the director for uh, the residential well living at Cortland, and I'll let him kind of give a better overview for what that actually means and what it looks like for Cortland from the resident engagement and resident experience perspective uh, to some of what they have uh, learned. Um, so Carl, kind of turn this over to you. Um, can you kind of talk about how you got started in the industry and what you actually do at Cortland? Yeah, sure. So um, the industry, um, uh, I started in wellness probably 12, 13 years ago, 14 years ago at this point. Um, but the residential well living industry is is rather new. Um, it's actually something that we kind of created at Cortland, to be honest with you. Um, and, and what I mean by that is the overall portfolio scope of our wellness program is something that you're not going to find at um, a lot of a lot of uh, multifamily owners, operators, um, and developers, because uh, it's it's such a unique subset that you have to be focused on the resident in order for it to be something that's um, implemented at your community or at your multifamily um, operating um, corporate corporate level. Yeah, and, um, I've been at Cortland for about four years. Mm-hmm. So what was your prior to that? I know for you, you have been in the wellness industry as a whole for a while. You also had your, uh, had your own business. So you've been really in the wellness industry for a long time. Multifamily is a little bit new to you. So maybe kind of talk about for you, like what got you into wellness and what did that look like in your previous careers before Cortland? Gotcha. Yeah. So um, I've been in, like I said, about 13 years or so. Um, and I started, I've, I've always been active, you know, I, I ran track in high school, did martial arts for a long time. Um, and I've always been active, you know, so I feel like I'm an athlete and, um, and I, I never want to give that up, but I've always tried to figure out how can I do what I love mm-hmm. and kind of got into personal training, um, started on personal training. And while I was in personal training, I decided to, uh, branch out a little bit and, and, get more certification. So I started with a CPT, then I got my CSCS, mm-hmm. which is a certified strength and conditioning specialist certification. Um, then I got my PES, which is a performance enhancement specialist. Mm-hmm. Around that time, I also got my master's in exercise science um, and my doctorate in health education. So I always wanted to do more than, I felt like I wanted to be at the top of my class or my industry and no matter what I did I, I wanted to just kind of excel in that space so that's what ended up making me search for different certifications and degrees that I can attain to put myself on that level of becoming an expert um but I think journey to that point was was interesting because like I said I started out as a personal trainer then I became a sports conditioning coach um while a sports conditioning coach 
I realized that I was working with a very special population. Mm-hmm. People who were um, who were athletes uh, trying to be better. Um, it was easy to talk to them. You know, I was like, hey, you know, you go out and give me two-mile run, then come back, and then we'll start working out. Not a problem at all. Went out, came back, broke a sweat, went through a hard workout, and no issue. And, and I felt like I was not really seeing a change in um, – there were minor changes in the individual, but mm-hmm. I was my skill set was not being utilized to make a positive effect on society. Yeah. Um, so I started a foundation called the AC Foundation. Uh, it's called it's for achieving change through exercise and education. And um, during that time, I, I worked with a couple of different uh, nonprofits, partnered with them to create wellness programs for different communities, mm-hmm. and um, I, I ran into uh, the uh, Black Cardiologist Association, I think it was called. Mm-hmm. Um, Association of Black Cardiologists. That's yeah. what And uh, they were based out of Atlanta at one point. I think they're now based out of D.C. Mm-hmm. And when I was with them, I met uh, their chief operating officer. His name was B. Wayne Kang. And um, I they were doing, they were offering funding for different initiatives in um, communities that they felt were disenfranchised or needed more resources. Yeah. So when I spoke to him, he told me um, that he gave me the story. He he said that what I'm doing, working with individuals is pretty much like a guy who's walking down in, in the woods and he sees a baby floating in the river mm-hmm. water saves the baby and he sees another baby jumps in the water saves the baby continues this process he said at some point you have to get to the top of the river and figure out who's throwing the babies down the river mm-hmm. so to that point you're not going to make any real headway in this whole process of helping other people yeah you help one person at a time but you need to figure out why this problem is existing um, at the time, I had a master's degree, and then I ended up going back to school and getting my doctorate because of that conversation, because I realized there was so much more about wellness that I did not know. Mm-hmm. Um, then during my doctorate, I focused on cardiovascular disease um, in African-American communities. Okay. And that's when I realized what my calling was. It was more so creating programs that were implemented for large populations. Um, I after that point I worked for um, uh, GCAP uh, Georgia Campaign for Adolescent Power and Potential. Yeah. We had a um, I created their uh, nutrition and physical activity program. Um, so we went and we worked primarily in Southwest Atlanta. Um, we had other initiatives across the state, mm-hmm. but our um, prime demographic was in Southwest Atlanta, and. We created nutrition programs, uh, physical activity programs. We worked with churches. We worked with other community organizations to provide them with services and resources to create their their wellness programs. Um, and as you mentioned in, in your intro, I, I did have my own business. I had a personal training company for a while. Um, I, I worked with Quest Diagnostics and a couple other different organizations in their wellness in the wellness capacity. Yeah. Um, but from there, I realized that it's not just the African-American community. It's, it's really our whole society. We have an 
we have a, a big issue with accepting that we don't know what we don't know. Um, and yeah. I feel that yeah. it's, it's our responsibility, my responsibility and people in my position to provide that knowledge to uh, the general, you know, in any way that we can. Um, yeah. Portland at the time was looking for a, a different uh, path to reaching their residents. And they realized that their residents were interested in, um, as their demographic was changing, more millennials were becoming um, their customer. Mm-hmm. And millennials are more concerned with wellness initiatives, um, not just because they're engaged in that space, but because they realize that they don't know what they don't know mm-hmm. or help. Yeah. And I love that. So love that transition from really um, starting with like those like one-on-ones um, trying to help people at like a very much of a one-on-one level and then understanding that in order to really make a bigger impact, you have to think a lot broader. So I yeah. love that like step, uh, that like step of try to see like there's a bigger potential here, go to the next stage and then do it from there. So um, our approach at, for my background is kind of similar in some ways where it started off like very singularly focused and they realized there was just like more to do. So they're one of the big reasons why I wanted to have you on here is because to me, wellness is one of my passions. Um, mm-hmm. We met in college and realized that in order to really make an impact, you have to focus on wellness at a very broad level. So how did you initially get connected to Cortland? LinkedIn, actually, funny enough. Um, I was I was honestly not looking for um, a change at the time. You yeah. Know? just finished building a program mm-hmm. um, for GCAP and it was running successfully. Um, a lot of people that were in need. Um, I, I was just on LinkedIn and I think within a week, I, mm-hmm. I had probably three different pings from their job search and I wasn't looking for anything, just saying, hey, you should look at this position. You should look at this yeah. position. It just kind of fell into that uh that role, it was, it was, it, it was not something I was looking for, but I, it was something that was looking for me and it, and it worked out. Yeah. That's awesome. So kind of talk a little bit more about Cortland before we kind of get into, um, the well living as well, but what makes Cortland special? Oh, just tell us about Cortland as a whole. Yeah. You know, um, if you've ever lived in one of our communities, if you've seen our branding, um, if you've seen, uh, if you if you've been an associate that works for Cortland, um, one thing you know about Cortland is that we really care about our residents. You know, one thing um, that our CEO says often is that um, we are in the business of people. And at the end of the day, yes, we rent homes, we rent apartment homes, but we really care about our residents. Mm-hmm. Um, there aren't many places, not many companies that really care about their customers. Yeah, you know. It's, it's not just um, how, it's not just what we say, it's how we interact with our, what we do to go above and beyond our interactions so that they know that they, that we care about them. You know, they're part of our family, not, it's not lip service. And, and that's not, it's not often that you can really say that for a company that you work for. And I believe that because everyone that I work with, um, they all give their all every single day you know i i don't 
I've never seen a situation where someone felt like something was above them. You know, we've gone on multiple, um, I mean, part of my job is to visit sites, you know, so I go to opportunities on a regular basis. And I've been there with executives, you know, from our chief executive, our, our CEO, our chief operating officer, our ex, uh, EVP operations, EVP of marketing. And on these tours, when we're walking the communities, um, I've seen each and every single one of them pick up trash. Oh, wow. You know, um, I've seen them all stop and talk to residents. There was one time um, I was with the uh, director of operations for uh, our Houston portfolio. Mm -hmm. We're walking through looking at a space where we're going to put some outdoor fitness equipment. So we're walking through talking and in the distance, we can hear like rustling. It was just, it was faint, but it was, it was noticeable. So we went around the corner and we noticed that one of um, our residents was on her balcony and she had a, a rope. Yeah. Dropping the rope over the balcony and she was on the, on the second floor and trying to fish out something from the from the bushes. And <laughs> so Dana, the um the director of operations, looked at her and was like, hey, you know, what's going on? Can I help you? And she's like, I, I dropped my broom. Yeah. She's an older resident. Um Aww. I dropped my broom and I, I'm trying to clean my balcony, but I don't think that I can I don't feel like coming back downstairs is just too much. I've been working all day. I'm really tired. Mm-hmm. Dana Picks up the broom, of course, which is the obvious thing. But then he asked one of the service managers, hey, can you just go up there and, and you know, help her? And without even question, without even hesitating, the service manager ran upstairs without even him. Dana didn't have to finish the statement. Ran upstairs and was like, I'm going to clean your, your deck for you. You know, there's a lot of pollen. So he went up there and swept it down and told her she, she was going to come back and spray everything down to make sure that it was nice and clean for her because she had her flowers and everything up there. Wow. Stuff that we do at Cortland, you know? That is and, awesome. So how yeah. is Cortland as a whole able to get everyone into that mentality? Is it, are you all hiring people that already have that? Are you training that right from day one? Or how do you ensure that everyone at Cortland thinks the same way? to see someone in trouble or see someone that needs help and immediately jump into action? Um, a little bit of both, you know. We um, we really hire for the culture, of mm-hmm. course. We, we make sure that people fit within what we believe. Mm-hmm. We don't want people to be there and feel like they're doing something that's difficult for them. Mm-hmm. want them to feel comfortable being themselves. And if helping other people is what you're comfortable doing, then you're going to fit right in with Cortland. Mm-hmm. Um, there are there are times when we have to, we, someone has a great skill set and um, they may not be used to a service environment. Mm-hmm. So yes, we do have a very robust uh resident, um, excuse me, uh, associate development program. Yeah. So um, an internal team that we have uh, that actually helps develop our um, associates mm-hmm. to make sure that they understand who we are, what we're about, 
and why our residents are important. So yeah. there are multiple levels that we go through and, and the training is, is not, it doesn't stop on day one. It's, it's, you know, and then we have our core values and through those core values, we also address those things on a regular basis. That's great. So for someone looking to work at Cortland, like what are some of the things that they should know? So maybe talk about your journey uh, go, uh, when you saw the thing on LinkedIn, how was that process like? And what should someone that wants to work for Cortland like think about? Yeah, you know what's crazy? This is where you can absolutely pitch Cortland. <laughs> <laughs> one, one thing about, um, another thing about Cortland is that we do things differently. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I've never been in the, the multifamily space before. It's my first time. Um, but I'm not the only one. There are tons of associates of our 3,000 associates across the U.S. Mm-hmm. that have never worked in uh, multifamily. Mm-hmm. What makes that unique is that people in different industries have different skill sets that will bring a different viewpoint. Mm-hmm. To- of view to common issues or um, developments in our space. It's it's if, if you've been in any industry for a long time, mm-hmm. you, you can become pigeonholed. You know, you can become uh, you, you can see through the blind. It's just it's hard to see anything left or right because you you think you know mm-hmm. everything. You know, so. Um, one of the ways that Cortland prevents that from happening is that we often recruit outside of our industry. Mm-hmm. You know, so for me, for example, um, it, I did not have a Cortland mindset. I, or I did not have a, a, a multifamily mindset. Mm-hmm. So, um, looking at issues from my point of view was what they needed. Yeah. How can we address the wellness concerns of our residents? Wellness expert. And, and that's what they did. Yeah. Um, so you're interested in working for Cortland. It's, I, I would allow your lack of knowledge in the multifamily space, hold you back from your skills and your passion for helping other people, because that's what we're really all about. Yeah. And I think that's really cool because one of the things that I've definitely noticed about the multifamily industry is that a lot of it is driven by uh, competition. So from like price shopping to doing like secret shopping, everyone looks at what the comes do and that's what they copy. Mm-hmm. What I always think would be really cool was if the industry looked externally a lot more. So look at what is a lot of property management companies want to offer really great a resident experience or a really great service to customers. So why not look at what the best in the world are doing? So look at like Disney, like how is Disney approaching uh, their guest experience? What so are speaking like, of, models? oh, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't want to interrupt you, but you just yeah. really something that was interesting. So our um, chief experience officer, who is the person that I report up to, um, so I, I'm in the residential well living, I'm the director of res- residential well living, and I am in the resident experience department. Mm-hmm. Uh, our new chief experience officer, Mike Gomes, was actually um, an executive for Disney. Oh, wow. 
So he's bringing. Oh, yes, really do live that. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, because that's what I always thought. Um, like the best need to do is look externally, look at who is executing each of the different elements, and recruit those people or copy what they are doing. Don't just look what other prophecies are doing, which is what I think mm-hmm. I see a lot of. Exactly, yeah. and that's what we're doing. Yeah, awesome. And then, so uh, when you got recruited at Cortland, what what is maybe start with like what is the residential well living program? Like what what does that mean? What does that look like? Yeah. So um, the department was actually initially called um, the Wellness, mm-hmm. and um, we started out. I, I started out just creating a simple to me, but unique for the industry, uh, wellness program, and which included um, free personal, tra- uh, free group training classes for mm-hmm. discounted personal training, discounted nutritional consultations, mm-hmm. um, free wellness events, uh, working with other partners, bringing in different um, fitness and wellness initiatives so that our residents can have them in different regions throughout the country. Um, Another part of that fitness and wellness program was creating or creating a better experience in our fitness centers. So our fitness centers were um, like every other fitness center around. Now the vendors that I have, which is it's it's a positive and a negative. It's a positive. I'm gonna tell you what it is, but it's a positive because our our vendors see the the change in how we create fitness compared to what our competitors are doing. And they are implementing that everywhere else. Mm. But the negative is that we're, we're losing our ability to, to differentiate just, off. <laughs> you know, so I've recruited, I've, I did a, an RFP with um, about 15 different vendors across the country mm-hmm. settled on three and they provide us with um, different types of fitness equipment. Mm-hmm. Um, at, at a very high level and a, a very large quantity as well. However, um, prior to me coming on board, it was a lot of let's pack the space mm-hmm. as much equipment as possible. Now it's how can we make the space accessible to mm-hmm. all of us? How do we make sure that we meet ADA? Um, how do we make sure that our equipment is not only functional in movement, but functional in usage? making sure that we're reaching the needs of our residents, um, no matter what their needs are. Um, one of the principles that we use to build our fitness centers um, is that we build to the other 50%. Hmm. And what that means is basically um, you have 25% of the population who know what they're doing. They know they know where they go, what they want to do, and, and they can just walk into any place and, you know, they can lift up rocks and get a good workout. Yeah. Yeah. The uh, other twenty five percent myself being part of that, but <laughs> definitely uh, made me question my ability to just like come up with workouts. I do myself. Yeah. I miss weights. Like I miss like, <laughs> lifting weights. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And then you have the other twenty five percent who um who don't care about fitness, and we're never going to reach them. No matter what we do, they're not interested at mm-hmm. all. And you have this sweet spot: fifty percent of the population who they're interested. They just need some guidance. They need to tell them how to work out, um, what types of weights to use, um, what type of exercise protocols to follow. Um, they may be a a woman 
25 and 35 who is not comfortable going to a big box gym because they don't want to get hit on mm-hmm. or they're not comfortable going to a boutique because they feel it might be a little bit too advanced for their skill level at the moment. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> or it may be a guy who is new to fitness and he may have um, had some bad experiences in fitness centers, whether it be because of body um, uh, confidence or just hurting himself possibly in the fitness center, trying to do too much because of the environment. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the sweet spot. That's the other 50% that we want to reach. So when we build our fitness centers, we're not throwing in really heavy weights because we, we're not, I'm not, to be honest with you, and, and I don't mean this any in, in any way to if anyone, because I, I love to work out as well, but I, I really can't build for, for everyone. You know, I can't build for that guy who wants to have a hundred pound dumbbells. I can't build because it's only but so much room. Yeah. You know? And, um, but I know that that guy knows what to do. I know that if he walks into the gym and if we did not have a hundred pound dumbbells, I know if he had 50 pound dumbbells, he would say, I know what to do with that 50 pound dumbbell. Yeah. So I'm, I'm betting on him to be a leader in that space to say, I can do what we do, but I can't build to him. Because if I go to him, I isolate 50% of the population who knows absolutely nothing about fitness centers. Yeah. So I get from our residents. I get a lot of emails from our residents asking, why don't we have this? Why don't we have that? And it's a hard conversation to have with a lot of them. But once I break it down to them and explain, it's not just some random throwing equipment in the wall and saying, hey, go ahead and have fun. This is a thorough process. I'm thinking through it. How can I help everyone? But I understand that I'm going to make a couple of people a little upset, but I'm still going to be able to give you a good workout. Yeah. So, you know, we've had it, we've added functional equipment to our fitness centers, um, functional rigs. So even if you're a CrossFit person, we might not have a, a full rack of weights for you to do cleans and jerks because that can be dangerous in an environment where someone does not know you're going to do a clean and that weight and the velocity comes yeah. down. Someone's walking by, you might hurt them. You know, um, the liability is on everybody. It's going to be on us because we gave you those weights, but it's also going to be on you because you did the weight, the exercise. Um, so, but you can still do functional activities, you know, battle ropes, um, infinity ropes that actually hang from the wall and you can pull down the rope never ends, um, pull-ups, dips, and things of that nature, um, medicine balls, medicine ball targets. So we provide our, our residents with everything they need to get a great workout, no matter what skill level or knowledge level you're at. Yeah. You can get out in our fitness centers. And I can't say that for everywhere because um, although I'm a homeowner now, I've been in apartments most of my my life. And I've been through a lot of different gyms where you can't get a good workout. And, and saying this from someone who's been in the industry for a while, where the weights that they have are out of date, they're rusty, they're old, they're broken, they're, there's a sign on it that says out of order. You're not going to find that when you go to a fitness center mm-hmm. that, that we own. Wow also going to be able to get a good workout. So then is one of Cortland's approach or measures of success then is the percent of residents that still have like external gym memberships. Is that something you, you all look at to say, we want X, Y, Z percent of our residents to not have gym memberships, meaning that they are able to get everything that they need through Cortland. 
And that obviously has implications for renewals and all of that, because if everyone, if you are getting what you need from the building, you're way less likely to uh, move out. Is that one yeah. of the things you all look at? So um, ideally, yes. I, if, if I could get every one of our residents to get rid of these memberships, that'd be great. But it's a, it's one of our marketing um, tactics for one. Yes, mm-hmm. we talk about that to our residents because you can. Mm-hmm. And it's not um, a bait and switch. I'm not going there and saying, "Hey, you can get rid of your gym membership," and then you walk in. We have one pair of dumbbells, and you yeah. know, okay. you know, it's it's real. You can really get rid of your gym membership. Um, but we've done surveys. We, we're having the surveys, um, and from our surveys, we've identified that 75 percent of our residents want fitness center equipment that works. They want um, they want access to a fitness center, but also they want fitness classes. So we have 25% of our residents that actually want these things. Now on the flip side, we have um, less than 10% of our residents that actually use the fitness mm. center. So and what's crazy is that we've continued to research. We've asked the same group mm-hmm. and others in our portfolio the same question. And it comes back consistently. Since 2016, since I've been at Cortland, yeah. the same question, the same response, 75%. So there's a difference in there. And what I've identified is that it's a difference of uh, social reality. Mm-hmm. So um, let me explain social reality a little bit. So what social reality says is that if you, let's say, for example, you're a marathoner or you want to be a, a marathoner, right? Mm-hmm. Right. So you run a marathon, Jew goes out, um, buys some sneakers, buys some shorts, and he starts his marathon training. Tells his friends that he's going to run a marathon. All your friends are like, wow. I, I can't run a marathon. Jude must be amazing because Jude can run a marathon. So now Jude has this feeling. You have this feeling that uh, you're better than everybody. Yeah. I'm telling you, you are. You're better than me because I, you can do something I can't do. Yeah. And what that does to anybody, I mean, even if you already know what's happening, it gives you a feeling as if though you have completed that thing because you're already getting the mm-hmm. rewards. Yeah. You're getting the accolades and the endorphins are there. You're getting everything that you would get other than the actual activity. Yeah, but you're getting all of that in that process. So the social reality benefit is there for our residents, even if they don't use the fitness center. So what happens is our residents come to our gyms or on a tour to, to, to view our communities. They see the fitness center and then they say to themselves, this is amazing. I can see myself in here, right? I'm going to tell all my friends. They're taking pictures. They post it online. And then their friends say, wow, you have an amazing community that you live at. They don't have to use this fitness center to get the social reality of having this fitness center. The same thing goes for our pools. The same thing goes for our leasing offices and all of our other amenities. People want these amenities, but the actual usage does not match up with their wants. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that it's not something that we can track. So the social reality benefit is what we do track. Um, so that's, that's, that's huge. It's something different. It's a different way to look at things, but um, it, it allows us to really see what's happening and what our residents are thinking about. Um, yeah. It's part of another pheno- phenomenon called FOMO. You've probably heard of that. Yeah. It's like fear of missing out. Exactly. No. But then kind of playing devil's advocate for this. Have you all looked at how can we increase that utilization? So 
looking at the 50, that 50% of people who do want to engage with fitness, but maybe haven't found the right activity uh, or are intimidated by X or just uh, in your head, they're too busy. Are you all looking at current ways to drive up that engagement so that it moves from just getting that halo or social benefit to them actually getting that benefit? Because I imagine from a marketing perspective, how amazing would it be if you have testimonials from your residents who are like, I got fit because I live at a Cortland property. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, well, Cortland changed my life. <laughs> and, and we do have those. And, and, I'll, and I'll tell you more about that. So um, before I even tell you about that, you have to understand that uh, in our population today, mm-hmm. everyone, most people will tell you they have a, a gym membership. Yeah. A gym membership, I have a, but only 18% of people who have gym memberships actually use the gym memberships. Yeah. So we have to understand that first. We, we really can't break a market that already exists. We can't change the stats for something that's been around since, you know, um, what the, the 60s pretty much when personal fitness became a trend. You know, running became popular in the 70s and then gyms became popular around 60s, 70s as well. Um, I remember watching Jacqueline Lane as a kid and seeing him and he was, you know, kind of one of the, the, the founders of that space. Um, but, but with that said, we're in line, very closely in line with what the industry is showing us. Mm-hmm. Something that I can say that other companies can't say, other multifamily companies can't say, because we're doing that research. We're studying, we're looking at that. We're serving our residents and this is what our residents are telling us. And this is what the data is telling us. But with that said, we, we still are interested in having our residents achieve their goals. So we have expanded our services to include not just fitness classes, but recently we've offered individualized training. Right? Our individualized training, um, individualized workouts, we've created a portal of workouts that our residents can access just by reaching out to us by emailing us at elevate um, at courtland.com. Our, um, which is the Elevate is the name of our um, well-living program. Well, our fitness component of the well-living program. And they will then receive a periodized workout for three months um, based on their goals, whether it be weight loss, yeah. um, strength, or uh, hypertrophy, which is muscle gain. Yeah. Then after those three months, they can reach back out to us. We create another work. Well, the workout workouts are recreated. We provide yeah. them with the periodized three-month workout um, and go from there. So since we learned- What would be uh, for anyone like listening is just give a breakdown of the components of the residential world living program from like A to Z, that high level. But I think it's an amazing program, by the way. Yeah, yeah. So um, it, it has various levels. Uh, so it, start, it's a, um, it starts with the physical aspect all right so there's a physical aspect then we go into the social aspect so all of our programs have social components to them so not if it's not uh, it's it can be just working out with other people but also our clubs we have um elevate clubs where our residents can meet to work together in um a running environment um going to different activities together fitness activities uh joining um recreational teams so etc so that's part of the program so that reaches another demographic that might not want to go to the classes yeah um, so that that, 50, that that less than 10 percent number i gave you previously 
that's for the classes. So when we look at our classes, then we look at the clubs, then we look at the individualized workouts for people who don't want to be in environments with others. They might want to just work out at home. Yeah. And we had about um, 9,000 people since we started last year that actually worked out in that space. Um, we also have our um, virtual training. So we have IG, uh, Instagram videos um, that our can access uh, through our Dr. Fitness page. Um, yeah. We have... Um, very soon, we'll be having more virtual options. Can't really get into that right now. Still working on the paperwork, but that our residents will be able to access as, as well. So that's the fitness component. Then we have our um, uh, emotional component. So we have access to other clubs. So there are our book clubs and we have um, emotional support clubs that we're rolling out. Oh. Um, the well-living component also looks at the uh, amenity space. So we have, of course, we have the pools um clubhouses etc now we're creating programming around those spaces and mm -hmm. in, in those programs we would offer our residents um different events different activities that they'll be able to um, work with others and uh, introduce themselves to their neighbors um the portal that we have coming out falls within this space as well so we have a resident portal that's expanded from just being able to pay for rent mm -hmm. um, to being able to access um amenity services and uh, reserve rooms, reserve spaces, um, yeah. parking spaces, etc. Whatever you uh, want, you can do in these in, in this space as well. Um, so there are um, many different ways that we touch our residents in the residential well living space that um, help our residents get to know each other, get to know themselves, and and just basically enjoy their experience while at Corton because it's not about satisfaction; it's about delight. You yeah. know, so a lot of people measure satisfaction, but you know when you ask satisfied with you know, um, you, you're, you, you know, with living it satisfied. That's not how you want to really, you want to be delighted. You want to. That's like such an important point that I think requires like additional emphasis is if someone, if you're just measuring satisfaction, you know, people are like fine with it, but what do you really want to hit on is are you exceeding expectations? And now yeah. one of the big changes that we have from our end for things is when we do uh, surveys, we're not asking rate, your level of satisfaction is it's more like uh rating like how well we met the expectations did we meet the expectations or did we exceed the expectations did we not meet the expectations uh because if you look at uh the analogy i always i always give is if i go to mcdonald's to get a burger i could pay uh five dollars to get a burger from mcdonald's and be surprised by how nice it is and give them like a five out of five because it exceeded my expectations. I could go to a steakhouse and pay a hundred dollars and give it a three out of five, even though it's 100% better than what I got at McDonald's, but I'll give it a three out of five because my expectations for what they should offer is way higher than what my expectations are from McDonald's. Yeah. So it's like a change that the industry needs to kind of look at is how are you actually delighting your customers or exceeding expectations? Exactly. So then in terms of the results from uh, the wall living program, like what, what sort of changes have you guys seen? Like what's been the ROI? Are you seeing a lot more um, reviews online are you, um, are, is resident satisfaction or delight much higher than uh, prior to the program? Have renewals gone up? So what is, what is that ROI for anyone thinking about implementing something similar? 
Yeah, so we um, do a lot of Kingsley surveys um, that uh, give us data from residents prior mm -hmm. to moving in while they're at the community and then when they're leaving. Mm -hmm. And our results have been positive. So um, in 2016, we had uh, surveys requesting our residents to tell us how they feel about our fitness centers. I think we were about 65% um, of our residents felt that it was meeting their expectations or above. And um, in 2019, our last survey, we were at 90%, which makes me nervous because I'm like, I only have 10% left to play with. How do you keep going up? <laughs> we have to we have to change the change the scheme at some point. Yeah. I'm gonna hit the hit the ceiling in a few. Um, but in regards to um just general ROI, to be honest with you, now this is something that we've we've been struggling with to be able to have our residents say, I, because it's more than just one program, mm -hmm. more than just one interaction. Um, because a resident can love one thing and have a mixed emotion about another thing mm. and then love something because it's all together. It's not just one. So if, even if they had a mixed emotion about something or they did not like something, they can still love and have a delightful experience with a Cortland community because of five other things that they're interacting with. Yep. And it's hard for them to kind of pinpoint sometimes. So it's, it's the full experience. The full resident experience is what our residents look at. Mm. And I've, I've been trying this for the last four years to pull it out of our residents. Um, we survey them in so many different ways. We actually have a marketing analytics team that comes up with our surveys to figure out how we can isolate that spe these specific things. Yeah. Are they signing a lease because of the pool? Are they? It, it's so hard because it's like literally the ultimate question. If you can figure it out, because the last that many wars have. I can't give a number, but the amount of the millions of dollars that have been spent in upgrades and new mm -hmm. features is insane. Yeah, it is. So we're trying to figure it out, and, and it's difficult, you know. So even if they say they signed their lease because of the pool, if you look five questions down, they may say that the leasing team was amazing. So maybe they signed the lease because of the leasing team. You know, they may say that this something else was, or I love the the hibachi restaurant down the block from my house. That might be what, you know, so it's yeah. that ROI is, is a tricky one. Um, but I do have a lot of stats and I don't think we have enough time to kind of go through them, but they really kind of break down how we have isolated the effectiveness of our program, but not necessarily being able to apply that to an ROI um, to say that if we get rid of a mm -hmm. resident, that, you know, it's, it's, that's very difficult right now. Yeah. And then, um, since we do need to uh, kind of wrap things up, we'll all for you to just like give the two minute what has worked the best, what hasn't. So, if there are any property management companies thinking about doing the same thing, like what have been some of those like lessons learned for you? Mm -hmm. Um, so the one of the things that really makes um, the Elevate program and then our our whole residential well-living program different from a lot of companies um, is that it's portfolio-wide mm -hmm. and it which helps us attach it to the brand. So if we had it at one community, that's not part of the brand. 
it's just one community. So if someone were to leave that community, go somewhere else, then they wouldn't have it any longer and then it wouldn't be the brand. But Cortland, we've made a commitment to roll out and, and have our programs managed centrally through our um, corporate office so that it's attached to the brand. Um, we have standards that we make sure that we roll out at every community. So there's there aren't any rogue programs in Portland portfolio. All of the programs have been vetted. All of our partnerships have been vetted. And because of that, it allows our teams to feel confident that when they speak about the program, it's not going to go away tomorrow. Mm -hmm. they resident that if you sign your lease today, this will be here today. And then when they're ready to leave because of work or uh, something that makes them move to another region, we can offer them the opportunity to move to one of our sister properties yeah. in another community, another region, and have all of the same services. And, and I think that is what really differentiates our service from a service at one of our competitors. Um, yeah. So if you have that buy-in from your team and you have the ability to manage it centrally, that's really the only way to take this to the next level. And that just makes so, so much sense. And then I feel like just, it gives you going back to your point on data, which is like a, like you said, it's like a completely different conversation, uh, how important that data is, but having that centralized management, but having it portfolio wide just gives you so much more data to understand. And also gives you a lot of rooms experiment. You can see, for example, if we do X at this property in Atlanta, what is the, uh, reaction versus if we do it at this property, we don't do it at this property. So compare apples to apples. Exactly. So make everything's so much better. You know, you're going off of like actual data and use versus just like guessing your way through. Exactly. So love that. And then, um, so for you, where do you see the resident experience going in the next two, three, four, five, ten 10 years? Like what are some of the trends that everyone should be aware of? Yeah. So, um, our, our CXO, uh, Chief Experience Officer Mike Gomes, has a very detailed strategy. I'm actually working through it with him right now um, that allows us to see where we are today, where we're going tomorrow. A lot of that information I can't provide to you today over the <laughs> our, our podcast. But, um, it, it, what, what is the most important is that um, it, it really comes down to customization, personalization. And I think that if we look at in the resident experience space, if we are able to look at our residents and say they know what they want, now we have to give them the ability to do it on their own. Portals like yours, portals like others that are out there that allow them to customize their experience mm -hmm. is what will actually take them to the next level. And without even realizing it, they're you're offering them a service that allows them to take the weight off the on-site team. Yeah. Um, but also give information back to the on-site team that they would not have necessarily had about that. Individual. Yeah. yeah. Like to a Ritz Carlton. If you've been to a Ritz Carlton and you go in before you get there, they know everything about you. Yeah. They know what kind of car you're going to pull up in. And when your car does pull up, they know that's you. They know you're going to be there at this time. They know how many bags you may have and who's traveling with you. So when you come and you open that door, it's, hello, Mr. Smith, how may I help you? Are you ready to go? Your room is already set. You're not sitting in the lobby waiting around because they've already personalized that experience for you. The concierge is there to let you know where 
the um where your meeting might be okay. if cab that's going to come pick you up or a, a car picking you up they know that car is going to be there and they're letting you know when they're going to be there etc that's personalizing the experience yeah. customizing it is actually giving me the opportunity to let you know that i i would like to you know have that you know predates a lot of people but having the the uh the 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 concierge call you at a certain time. That's customizing your experience. Let you know that it's a wake up call in the morning. Yeah. And some, some hotels still do that. Um, you know, that's customizing that experience. And we're taking that from the um, from different industries that are doing it well, like mm-hmm. hospitality, and we're bringing that to our residents yeah. in the residential space. Yeah, definitely agree with all of that. I think that's where the opportunity really lies. Is each resident is so unique and so different, and the building already has all a lot of those things in place. It's now just emphasizing to each resident what part of the resident experience uh, would engage them a lot more. You have the people that might love the pool. So make sure that they're aware of everything that goes into that. You might have the person that loves a specific fitness class. Make sure they are aware of all parts of that. So really personalize that experience where you do have those buckets. You have that 20%, that 50%, that 20% here. So making sure that they get what they like need. So love that. Yeah. So for you, uh, what keeps you in the industry? Um, it's always new. And especially at Portland. Um, yeah. I, I don't think I've been bored since I've been here. I'm always moving, um, which keeps my mind fresh and um, keeps my body active, you know. So I, 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 um, I don't think that um, there would ever be a slow point. Yeah. Okay, I love that. Well, Carl, it was awesome having you on the Resident Experience Podcast. You definitely dropped a lot of knowledge, and I think a lot of property managers will definitely benefit from really understanding um, a few of the key things you mentioned, like the personalization, customization, looking at things from portfolio level, the data, really bringing things that are really going to impact resident experience from a much more tailored perspective. So appreciate you jumping on. I know you are probably very, very busy trying to recreate the world of a resident experience. So I appreciate you being on the uh, podcast today. Well, thank you for your time, dude. I appreciate it as well. Uh, not a problem. Great talking to you. Yeah, you as well. So I hope you have uh, good on your next meeting. Thank you.